The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Hey, this is Nathan Explosion from Death Clock, and you're listening to some underfunded college radio station from somewhere. KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine. Hey everyone, you are listening to 88.9 KUCI-FM in Irvine. This is Tech Talk. My name is Ravind Kumar. Uh, you're listening to Tech Talk, obviously. This is Monday, uh, 9 a.m., lovely morning. Um, today, uh, we have a special guest. Uh, we have a student with us today, uh, Devin Pagera. He's a transfer student from Sri Lanka. Uh, this is his fourth year. He's an ICS major. Um, and he's actually in a very uh, unique position among undergraduates doing work for a startup company right now. And we're going to be talking at length about his work in programming. So welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, Ravin. <laughs> uh, I should confess, obviously, Devin and I have actually known each other for a while. We mm-hmm. roomed with each other first year. We lived with each other second year at BDC. So, like, we were both in ICS before. As our viewers know, I bumped out of ICS. He's been doing quite well for himself, as I'm not mistaken. Actually, it, run down the list of some of the projects you've done over the past year. Well, it's interesting because I feel that most of my experience in terms of like you know getting actual projects done actually happened over this past summer, where I actually got a chance to work about five different internships, and. You know, coming into this major, there's like so many different areas you can get into, and I wasn't really sure, you know, after I graduate, I want to do this specific area. So I ended up, you know, trying, you know, kind of like branching into like a lot of different things. So there was like data mining, there was working on Ruby on Rails, there was Web 2.0, there was iPhone programming, and at the same time, I wasn't really sure, you know, whether I want to work for an enterprise company or whether I want to work for a startup, and I ended up finding a lot of comfort in working at startups because, you know, it's a very small team, and... You know, you're involved in all parts of, you know, the process of handling a business. And um, I was able to get a ton of really great experience, which really helped me right now. Uh, startups in particular, in, in California at least, we are a technological center. Can you imagine that you'd have an equivalent experience anywhere else in the United States? Or is, is this, maybe it's just Irvine, like just the uh, different technological centers we have around us. Like I imagine if you went to Silicon Valley, it'd be a very different experience. Well, to be completely honest with you, SoCal, specifically Irvine, has, I mean, a lot of great people around here, and I feel that, you know, people say it's really quiet, and, you know, you're living in a bubble, and, you know, you really got to hit Silicon Valley, or you got to go up to the East Coast, you know, where people are really competitive and driven, but, you know, I don't believe that. I mean, I got some really great internships here, and there's, like, some top companies around here. I mean, Facebook's, like, Palo Alto, which is, like, a couple minutes away, and you have, like, all these great startups out in, like, L.A. and, like, Santa Monica, and... I don't know. I mean, it seems really bulbing for me. So let's let, let's talk about first of all, what is your experience with programming? Because you are a programmer. So you started off. Both of us actually started off as computer science engineers. Right. And where did you go to ICS from there? Like, where was that bridge? Okay, it's interesting because I actually had a topic, like a conversation, like this, very similar um, in one of my interviews with um, a consulting company about two days ago, where they asked me, "So why did you pick ICS?" and you know, have you ever had second thoughts about it? And it's really interesting because I did. Because when I came here my freshman year, I was very driven. I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to do computer science and I'm going to do something in this, you know, industry. And I remember around about my second year, I really got sick of my degree. And 
you know, I come from like playing like classical music and playing a lot of piano too. And I was thinking to myself, you know what? I'm not learning anything that is going to be useful for me in industry. You know, they're not teaching me Oracle. They're not teaching me C++. And I keep doing this classical theory and data structures and I don't understand how this is going to help me. This isn't applicable in industry. And then I stuck with it anyway. And when it came, when it came to like my third year and like when operatives, you know, really started kicking in, that's when I realized, wow, UCI, their ICS program has taught this degree to us, you know, in such a special way. You know, rather than focusing you know, on syntax and, you know, semicolons and making sure, you know, you're meeting the right standards, they're going on a more classical approach where they teach you paradigms and, you know, data structures. And they teach it to you in a way that you could pick up any language really fast. Well, talk about that, because I know the, that one, there was one summer, I remember, where you had like three or four different programming languages on your plate. Like, what, what was exactly the situation there? So, it was, it was actually like this past summer, because like I said, I wasn't sure what area of computer science I want to get into. So I ended up just going to the Career Center website and just carpetile bombing them with resumes. I probably sent out like 200 resumes at least. And then I got picked up by um, four different companies, which was a lot more than I expected, to be completely honest with you. And they were in all sorts of different technologies. They were, one was in Java, one was running on Ruby, Ruby on Rails, another was running on like Objective-C and C++. And you know, it's a lot of different paradigms. But I feel that as a result of like all my experience with you know, UCI and just like the way they taught everything, that it wasn't difficult at all to pick up these languages. Like my boss would literally walk up to me on a Monday, he'd PDF me a book on Ruby, like a cheat sheet, and he would tell me, okay, um, here's your cheat sheet, I want you to read this, I want you to learn the language, and I want you to push in this code by Friday. All right, peace out. That was pretty much my average conversation with my boss. And, you know, I'm just like completely surprised at how fast I was able to pick things up. And, you know, by the end of the summer, I'd say it was about, yeah, four or five languages easy. Yeah, I was a little surprised because I remember even earlier on, I remember you said you were doing some work for Lark, I think, or something to that effect. And even then, you had a couple of different languages you, you had to pick up, and you got them pretty easily, S or with relative ease. So you would attribute to that to the ICS department, or their, their, their way of doing things. Yeah, you know what, to be completely honest with you, I think the way they teach programming in UCI is probably the way they're going to teach it at MIT, too, because... Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I had my 161 upper division um, final. I think it was about two quarters ago. 161 being? It's upper division algorithms. Okay. And I probably missed the last eight or nine lectures because I had, like, my internships and things were kind of getting in the way. So I, I ended up going to the MIT OpenCourseWare website, which is basically this open community where all these UCI prof um, MIT professors got together and they put all their lectures and videos online. And when I watched their teaching style, Except for the fact that, you know, they use blackboards, the way they teach algorithms at MIT and the way they teach in UCI is completely the same. And it's surprising. Wow. So, actually, that would be interesting because I remember my own experience. Uh, I think in 2003 or 2004, I went to SIGGRAPH, uh -huh. which is a graphics convention, a hardware graphics convention. I remember there was an area for new and, Im new and incredible technologies. And UCI was there next to MIT next to Berkeley, next to German en engineering institutes, next to like all these high-end guys, and there was UCI, and they had their um, virtual rainforest project. Wow. And I remember seeing that at ICS when I did my, uh, my SPOP stuff, too. And I recognized it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think, for one thing, four internships as an undergraduate is incredible. Like, that in and of itself is a very unique experience. Like, that's really uncommon, isn't it? 
Well, I know for a fact that there are people who might do two or three, but I honestly was expecting to do, you know, one, you know, good paid internship. And what was interesting was I did all these for free too, <laughs> just for the sole fact that, you know, I want to get experience. I want to know what I'm going to face when I graduate. And to be honest with you, Ding, I literally did not have a summer. Um, I was probably pulling about 90 to 100 hours a week. Like, I'm being completely honest here. Like, there'll be days where my boss would hit me up. Because the thing about a startup, you have to remember, is that it isn't a 9-to-5 job. You know, it's people, they have an idea, and they're going to pursue it no matter what. So my boss would literally call me up sometimes at 2 in the morning. I'd be like, hey, Devin, wake up. I got this idea for a feature. And we're living to Silicon Valley on Monday morning, and we need this in the code. And we got to go show it to them. So, peace out. I hope you get it done. <laughs> that was probably an average conversation I had every other week with my boss. And, you know, it's a lot of pressure. And, you know, I had to think about, you know, my rent and, like, other issues as well. So, I think, like, one of my more interesting times was I'd wake up on a Wednesday. I remember this one crazy week where the deadlines were really harsh. I woke up on a Wednesday, and then I, I continuously kept programming all the way to Saturday morning at 7 a.m. I literally did not leave my desk at all. And at 8 a.m., I had to go and present what I, what I programmed. And, you know, it's a really stressful experience. And, but, you know, the reward from it was, it was incredible. It was an amazing experience. Actually, I remember this summer you actually, actually you put out your own iPhone app, didn't you? Oh, yes, I did. And it was as a result of, like, everything I had learned from my startups. Because when I started this summer, I had no idea how to do an iPhone app. I remember I went for the interview, and they said, okay, we might put you on a mobile development, potentially. Um, what's your experience like? And I was like, I have absolutely none. Um, if you want me to make a Hello World program, I'll copy and paste an image of the Hello World text. I don't even know how to put the text on the iPhone. And in the course of about two months, just from, you know, an amazing management experience and, you know, having, you know, mentors who just kept pushing you, I picked up that platform really fast. And, yeah, I have an app out right now, which is, it, it pretty much hacks up the YouTube data API and hooks it up with Facebook's graph API so you can virally share um, videos. So it's like, it basically you have an iPhone app that lets you link YouTube videos using Facebook, but in a more intuitive manner, or? Um, I'd like to think of it as like a Facebook spammer, almost. Because <laughs> it's the fact that you could open up your friends list, which might have 800 to 1,000 people, and you could say, ah, oh, this is an interesting video, and you could literally share it with all 1,000 in one click. So. Oh, wow, that's impressive. And it's frightening. <laughs> at the same time, yeah. Yeah, just a bit. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize you could have that much power using the, like, playing with APIs. Actually, can we, it's a little off topic of what sure. I want to get into, but APIs. Um, this is a technology show, and we do talk a lot about programming. Can you talk about APIs? Because from what I understand about them, they work a lot like, they're a set of very powerful tools. So, first of all, API stands for? Application Programming Interface. All right, and how do you use one, in essence? Okay, basically... Um, okay, so for all the programming geeks out there, it's pretty much encapsulation, which means I'm going to hide the inner workings of my program from the external user, and I'm just going to give him a set of methods he can use to access my data. That's pretty much what an API is. So if you take Facebook, for instance, what's going to happen is you would authorize yourself, and you would say, hey, my name is Devin, and I'd like to get access to your information. And they'd be like, okay, Devin, um, I kind of like you, so I'm going to give you an access token. And basically, you can pass in this token which identifies you through a URL, just like, you know, Google.com. And you can say, okay, send me a news feed. Um, send me a friends list with all the people that start with K. So it's pretty much a way to extract information from, you know, popular services. You know, Twitter has a famous API. YouTube has one. Um, the startup I was working for, Radio Flag, has one. And what basically happens is 
people would take these APIs and they would you know, make really interesting apps with them because the format would usually be something like XML or JSON. And, okay, just to break it down, it's pretty much, if you take XML, for instance, it looks just like HTML code, which is what's used on web pages, but then it has very specific tags like name, start, end, or age, start, end. And it's basically key pair values which you can extract and process and turn into anything. So if you take any application, if you take like a Twitter application or an iPhone application, what they pretty much do is they take this data and they make it look pretty and they present it to you in really interesting ways. Right. So you've played around with a lot of stuff. Like I'm looking down your resume right now and there's some fantastic stuff here. Um, actually, there's one I want to talk about before I get to your current project. You are a transfer student. Correct. You face some difficulties in that in terms of just moving, not, not so much in moving around in terms of the job area, but just in general. You've had some issues with that, haven't you? As in terms of being an international student? Yeah, or? just just not just financially, but like actually getting the job. Like I remember you, you worked for an aircraft corporation, mm -hmm. and I remember there were some issues there. Yeah, because you know what, the California, like in terms of its economy, it isn't doing you know as well as they hope, and it's the fact that most companies, as much as they can, I feel it's from a sense of influence from the government as well that they want to give jobs to you know the locals as much as possible, you know. You want to keep, like, rekindling this economy by, you know, continuously giving jobs to people in this country. And the moment I tell them, hey, I'm an international student, and suddenly, you know, there's extra paperwork. You know, you got to get authorization from embassies and governments and, you know, foreign bodies. And suddenly it makes the process a little more complicated. So in terms of getting internships, it becomes a lot more difficult because you got to prove to, you know, whoever your employer is that, hey, you know what, I'm going to be worth the extra paperwork. And I guess that's, like, one of the more interesting challenges. Well, I mean, that's something I've, like, you, like, that, that's one thing I'll give you. You sat for all of summer and did 90 to 100 hours of programming as an undergraduate. That's friggin' ridiculous. Uh, I don't know how you did that. I wouldn't encourage people. It, <laughs> it isn't the best way to spend a summer. <laughs> I don't think it's the best way to do a lot of things, mate. Agreed. But, I mean, juggling four internships at roughly the same time, that's impressive. Uh, but what I really find impressive... How on earth did you stay on the dean's honor list in the middle of all of this? You, you have a fantastic GPA in the middle of all of this. Um, you know what? It was, I mean, there were a few cars where I did drop out of the dean's list. But I guess for the most part, it is a question of balancing. And more than balancing, there's one recommendation I can give to people. It is, you know, you got to go out and you got to de-stress. You got to have some way to, you know, just escape for a while, you know, kill some stress, you know, relieve the pressure. Because, you know, I mean, if you take my summer, for instance, that's a lot of programming. And every once in a while, I hit up all four of my bosses at the same time. And I'll be like, you know what? I'm going through kind of a burnout. Give me like a day or two, you know, slack off and, you know, recharge. And, you know, they understand, you know, hey, I'm 21 years old. I'm in college. I got a job. I got to pay rent at the same time, you know. And, you know, people are completely understanding. And I, I, if there's one piece of advice I can give to any undergraduate, it's that you got to have that source of escape. It could be partying. You could be taking shots, you know, at a club, you could be playing piano, but you got to have your source of escape. I mean, that's why you have hobbies, right? Yeah. Just, you know, to take a breath off things. And that's one recommendation I'd give anyone. All right. Well, let's move into the uh, real interesting part here. Is your current primary internship, I should say. Um, Radio Flag. It's the startup you're working for right now, and they've got a really, really incredible program you guys are working on. So... Uh, from what I understand, you've been giving the green light to talk to us about this. So give us a spiel on your program. 
Like, if, if this was one of the guys who are looking into your company, like I remember you said at some point this summer, you actually went out to to brag about your program. I think. Sure. So yeah, give me that. So what is Radio Flag? Okay, I would describe Radio Flag as a startup's attempt to rekindle America's radio industry. Because the fact is, when you think about radio in America, like you mentioned at the start of the program, it's almost like a hundred to like, it's been around for a while, you know, just as long as America's been around. You know, from the early days of like boxing, World War II, it's been around. And people often feel that it is, as much as it's been stable for as long as it has been, that it's a dying technology to a certain extent. You know, people, you take college students, we're not listening to radio as much as we used to, right? I mean, how often would you, I mean, in your case, it would be an exception. You know, I'm assuming you listen to KFI and, you know, because you're, you're in the industry, you know, you need to keep that interest. But if you take an average user like me, until I started Radio Flag, I wasn't really doing this. Yeah, I mean, even myself, uh, like I remember I used Sirius at some point. Uh, Sirius XM, I had a rental car over summer. I got into a bit of an accident. Right. And I remember I really enjoyed it, and I was thinking about it, and I had forgotten how powerful radio can be in terms of getting new music. I think a lot of the problem is there, there's a lot of staleness. Also, more than that, I think there's like a lot more interesting competition now. You know, you have companies like Pandora, yeah. you know, Selective Listening, and people just... Because, you know, people's attention spans as a result of the Internet have, you know, reduced drastically. We don't want to sit through advertisements and one-hour interviews anymore. We want to know what's happening, what's on the dot. There's nothing and worse than, like, an, uh, there's nothing worse than a one-hour funny clip with a, or a one-minute funny clip with a 30-second ad in front of it. Exactly. And <laughs> I think that's what Radio Flag's target is. If I was to describe Radio Flag in one line, like I said, it's, Amer it's a startup's attempt to rekindle America's radio industry. And it's going to do that in a really clever way. When I first came on board... Um, the CEO sat me down and he was like, okay, this is what my company does. He just gave me the elevator pitch in 30 seconds and it just blew my mind at how simple the concept is. It's pretty much, we're going to take radio and instead of, you know, creating like user guides or like, you know, having people tell, you know, send us schedules and stuff, we're going to incorporate a social networking aspect. We're going to get everyday users to tell us what's playing on the radio. So if I was to give you a rough idea... So the company is still kind of in stealth mode, so I'm going to be a little limited on what I'm going to say. Obviously. But say you have interests. Okay, Ravin Kumar, what are your interests? Give me, like, the top three. All right, uh, KFI. Sure. Uh, KUCI and 98.7. Cool. So what's going to happen with Radio Flag is you're going to have interests, and you're going to have the ability to tell me, okay, these are my interests. And basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and look at my social network and I'm going to try and funnel what people say about your interests and bring it to you. And they're going to do this in a really clever way. And I'm going to, I'm going to keep you on your toes of December so you can find out yourself. <laughs> and you're going to be able to know exactly what's playing on the radio. You're going to be able, take KUCI for instance. Um, I think your reach was you know, very limited to Irvine. You know, it's like Santa Ana, Costa Mesa. As a result of Radio Flag, you guys are going to be getting listeners from all over the world. It's the fact that, you know, we're going to put your internet streams, we're going to make you guys live, and people who've never heard of you are just going to be watching, you know, the interest, the things you guys are talking about, and we're going to be, you know, drawing users right to you. So you actually do connect to, like, if, if, if a website or if a radio station has a stream, you can connect to the stream. Are you guys going to be folding in internet radio as well, or are you going to be sticking to primarily analog? I think for now we're going to be sticking to analog as much as we can. And, but, you know, there's... There's incredible options in terms of expansion. You know, there's digital radio, there's satellite, there's XFM. And 
I mean, the potential of a product like this is incredible because if you think about things like Shoutcast, for instance, Shoutcast, the whole idea is I'm going to let everyday users be radio talk show hosts and I'm going to make their streams live. This is the Verizon service, right? I think it is. Like, I, I vaguely recall it, but it, it's kind of like with the CNN Eyewitness or the iNews thing, I right? iReport, yeah. Yeah, iReport. Yeah, it's basically, let me put the power of radio in, like, everyday users' hands. So if you could link all these people together in one big social network, I mean, the potential, you know, in terms of revenue, in terms of a service, in terms of what we can offer you is incredible. Yeah, and I imagine that for radio especially, um, like, I can't, like, I know that KCI, we have a pretty good user, like, a listener base within Irvine. I know that I get our radio station out as far as Orange, Orange County-ish. I mean, once I start getting out past, once I get to, like, Cal State Fullerton, the signal's gone. Right. But, you know, if I was, let's say, driving down the East Coast and I got a notification by saying, hey, you know, there's some awesome, you know, like, freestyle underground uh, hip-hop going at KUCI, you know, like, Open Session, one of the shows we got, they got some awesome beats on that show. I tune into it, and like any t- every time it comes up at night, I listen to Open Session on my way back home. And I found it by accident, and it's sick. And I can't imagine how it would be like for someone like now out in the Midwest to just hear that and just be like, "Yeah, this is good." And you know, we're just giving—we're pretty much giving access to any local station from anywhere in the world. That's the whole idea. That's the power, like the beauty of this app. And if you think about it, think about the advertising, for instance. It's interesting because you have networks like Facebook and Twitter. See, the problem with advertising on a social network like that is the target audience. When I get on Facebook, when I'm on my homepage, when I'm on my news feed, what I really care about is connecting with my friends, you know, writing on their walls, updating my status. Nine times out of ten, nine times out of eleven, I'm not really going to care about, you know, the right banner, what are my ads. A yeah. company like Google, I mean, that's completely different. You know, they're all about search. So if I'm searching for something and an ad pops up, you know, relative to my search, you know, I'm going to click on that. And that's the beauty, I think, of Radio Flag. And the model that it's going to generate because this is a social network that's targeted at the radio industry. So what's stopping people like KUCI or Ryan Seacrest or Bill Handel from using our network to advertise? You know, hey, I'm, I'm on the air right now. Um, we're going to be talking about something really controversial and I think everyone should tune in. Give me your responses. What do you think? How do you want this topic to shape? And, you know, as interviews progressing, if this was KUCI, Tech Talks right now, as this interview is progressing, you could keep a laptop open and you could be watching how people's, you know, interests and thoughts are trending and how it's changing based on what you're saying. And if you have two million followers, people like Bill Handel, for instance, um, they're in the millions, their fan base. So if you can watch people's responses and act according to them and have an advertising model that just directly gets at the audience, I mean, that's incredible. That's re- That's putting fire back in the radio industry. And that's why I love this product so much. Yeah, and it looks like this is an iPhone application, right? Um, it's actually going to be on a number of different platforms. So iPhone is just one of them. We're, like, going to target all of them. It's going to be on iPad. It's going to be on Android. We're hoping for Windows Mobile. It's going to be on the web. Is so it going to be... Do you, do you anticipate difficulties in playing around with the different web... O, the web, different phone APIs? Because not all phones play the same. Um, we have occasionally faced some challenges, but then when you think about it, the team that came together for this product is fantastic. Like, we have people who've done startups during, and, like, they blew up in the dot-com bubble. We have people who specialize in security and litigation. We have teams of graduates, you know, who specialize in, you know, platforms like Android or, and, you know, there's so much expertise in this group. And the thing about a startup is, so I've done a lot of startups, and 
the one thing I realized that makes a startup successful is always going to be the team. And what happens is, at the beginning, you don't have revenue, you don't have seed capital. So the limited resources you have, you want to throw it at the team to make them as strong and as connected as possible. You know, there are days where we'd all be in a conference room on a Saturday morning at 8 a.m., and we'd all just be, like, cross-firing and, like, killing each other at whiteboards and, like, no, you shouldn't include this, no, you shouldn't include that. And, you know, it gets really fired up on certain days, but you know at the end of the day that this is a really great team for that very reason. It's the fact that everyone's so passionate about what they do. And, you know, no matter what happens at the end of the day, you know, everyone's chilling, you know, everyone's, like, grabbing a beer and chilling. But you know for a fact that it's the team that matters in the end. And, you know, that's the main reason I'm sticking with Radio Flags so much is because they're able to, you know, instill that fire in every single one of their employees. I mean, your position there is really unique. Like, I'm reading here that you're basically the lead iPhone developer. As an undergraduate, you're the lead, you're the lead developer as an undergraduate of a startup company with a really fantastic idea. That's amazing. I, honestly, I, hats off to you on that one. That's really... I mean, that just goes to show if you, if you put some serious blood, sweat, and tears into something, you can get something good out of it. Well, you know what? I should actually extend the thanks to, you know, the team that came together because my managers are brilliant people, all of them, you know. They're very experienced. They've been in the industry 10, 20 years. And I feel they've given us a lot of flexibility because when I, when I went for and I worked for an, a corporate company, like the aviation company, you know, it's pretty big. You know, there's a lot of employees. And what they did was they pretty much cornered me in a three-by-three three cubicle and they were like, okay, we need you to focus on this very specific thing. We need you to design state machines. And, you know, it's a very deadening. It's a very, you're, you're pretty much a cog in a machine and you're just working at that continuously. Whereas with startup, you know, you're involved in all parts of the process. You know, we're out, you know, having drinks with associates, the interns. I can't believe this. And, you know, we're out at meetings. They're asking us our feedback continuously. How can we improve this product? You're the user. You're going to be the guy using this product. Do you like it? Do you like this feature? And it wasn't just a question of me pushing code every day. It was a question of, you know, me constantly being at that product and, you know, shaping it. And, you know, that's incredible for a college kid because you're doing these things as a project manager or when you hit a senior level. That's when you call shots on a product. And I'm, I was doing that when I was 21 years old. And, I mean, it's an incredible experience. You know, if I could give advice again to all ICS graduates... If you get the chance, you got to go work at a startup because the dynamic, the things you learn at a startup compares to nothing. You don't think you just got lucky? You know, I ask myself that every day. <laughs> but I just feel like I've been very fortunate in that I've had chemistry with really great people and they've connected me with really amazing people. So, All right, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about this whole idea of social network programming. Now, let's talk about social networks in general. Um, in your experience, a lot of the work that you've been doing involves providing services to users. Um, is this, and we've talked about this in past episodes of Tech Talk, this whole idea of programming for people. Um, you know, there was Facebook, they went out and they did a partnership with Yelp, with Pandora to share, you know, to try to, br I, I think the goal is when you log on to your web browser, what you're looking for is already there, you know, an internet that learns around you. Um, how is that, like, have you? How is that movement like? I, I can't really put the formulate the question properly, but you know that movement of how can we give the user what he wants before he knows it? So, in terms of radio flag or like social networks, social general? networking. Your experience in programming these uh -huh. these social applications. Your experience with startups doing social networking programming, programming around the user rather than providing just providing a service that the user happens to be using. 
which is I, I think that's the way that programming's worked in the past is you make right. an application and your user uses it and if they don't like it well you know what it, it's your that's just how it is whereas now it's more like you're providing no you're you're not providing something for the user the user is providing something for you and you're taking what the user is giving you and you're giving it back to them as something better so it's much more of a symbiotic relationship now i think yeah you know what i agree with you 100% i mean if you take any social network you take radio flag you take facebook you take twitter those companies all run on the sole fact that we're de- you know depending on user generated content and the question of how can we you know tweak like this billions and billions of bytes of data how can we tweak it so that you know it's relative you know it's relevant to you that's a very interesting area of programming and i mean there's been like a lot of research done in that and you know it's interesting you take something like facebook for instance you open your news feed people don't realize but sometimes you might have 900 to 1000 friends yet when you open your news feed your news feed is smart enough to know okay as much as this guy has 1000 or 2000 friends He's more interested, you know, this very close group. You know, he posts on their walls regularly, you know. He, you know, comments on their statuses. And Facebook is smart enough to figure out, okay, I need to focus on these people because that's what this user is interested in. So I feel like programming evolved, as you said, more from, you know, just like generic, let me display a list of everything that, like, matches this keyword to how can I make it smarter. And, you know, Radio Flag faces that challenge every day because, you know, if you have 10 million users on a network like this and people are just, you know, constantly giving you updates on what's, like, playing, your system has to be smart enough to figure out, okay, here's my user and he's interested in these things, but how can I make it shorter? You know, how can I tweak it? So it's a really interesting question. And I feel that the answer to that really depends on, you know, the team you're working for and, you know, what are the goals in terms of how am I going to acquire this data? So let's talk about that also, because one of the things that we talk about a lot on this show is data, uh-huh. personal data, privacy issues. Th- th- that's actually something we really talk about is what a lot of companies require for these things to work is personal data. Right. You know, you can't help a user find something without knowing what they're looking for. Um, and I know Radio Flag's a little different because th- the personal information is largely limited to what the user itself offers. Right. But, you know, we had the whole Facebook privacy scare. You know, Zynga was going around. or I think Zynga, Zynga, whatever it's called. The Mafia War guys. The gaming company, yeah. Were going around selling ad data they weren't supposed to. Right. And there's this constant game of advertisement. You know, advertisers like data. User data helps them, you know, direct their ads more properly. Right. I- in your experience and in general, how is this a challenge? Uh, weighing the 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 user wants privacy. Like, generally speaking, there's no user out there who's like, I don't want, or I'm fine with everyone knowing everything. Users want privacy, but at the same time, they want services. So how do you bridge that? How do you provide them services while not jeopardizing not just personal privacy rights, but personal information? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Because, you know, the last time I checked on Google, um... Facebook's privacy agreements are supposed to be longer than the United States Constitution. And the fact is, if you take something like Facebook, and, okay, so how would you define Facebook's goal? What's their, you know, business plan? What's their main strategy? What are they focused on? The way that I see Facebook, and I discussed this recently, is the goal of Facebook is not to provide you privacy. The goal of Facebook is not to provide you something small for your close-knit group of friends. Right. Facebook's goal is to allow you to connect to people globally. Right, absolutely. It, there's no filter on that. If you want to, you can use Facebook to find people who have similar interests to you on the other side of the globe. 
So that's not what Facebook is about. Facebook is not about knowing everyone in your high school class to graduate, your high school graduating class. It's about being able to know many, many, many different people. Right. So it, it, with that in mind, um, it makes more sense for Facebook to say, well, I'm going to take your data and I'm going to make it a little bit more visible so that other people can see you. And I understand why that's their default setting, because by default, that's what Facebook is for. It's for connecting in general, not in specific. Yeah, you know what? I agree with that. I think initially what happened was, so the beauty of Facebook, when you compare it, the reason I feel that Facebook is more successful than you know, companies like Friendster or HiFi or MySpace is the fact that it made it safe for people to have a sense of identity, like true identity on the Internet. You know, when I log in, I'm logging in as Devin Piguera, you know, not like xstar 69 xxx you know and i think that's the main thing that people were really attracted to facebook for and you know if i was to like make an analogy of what's facebook comparative to the real life i think oftentimes people think that you know it's a classroom you know i'm going to connect with you know my high school buddies or you know it's like a water fountain and like i know the people in my office so i'm just going to go and like chill by the water cooler and get to know them that's what facebook is to me but you know they're completely wrong like Facebook is, I mean, it's a fantastic concept and it gives you the ability to connect with all these different people because that's what the internet did for us. You know, it wasn't just a case of, okay, I'm going to find my high school graduating class of 98. I'm really excited. You know, that wasn't what Facebook did for us. It gave us the ability to connect with people we don't even know based on all sorts of commonalities we have with them. You know, it could be interests. It could be things we bought that we had in common. And I feel like people are always missing this point. And you know, Facebook as a network grew so exponentially. I think at this point, what was it, 500 million users? Something like that, yeah. So it's the equivalent of a small country being run by, like, a couple of geeks out of Palo Alto, <laughs> when you really think about it. And I feel like people are always missing this point that Facebook isn't, you know, just, like, connecting with a really close group of people. And, you know, whenever they bring up this fact, you know, if you were to go home, like, right now, tonight, and make a Facebook group saying, okay, um, one million users strong for... Facebook not owning my user-generated content, I think you wake up tomorrow, you're going to you're gonna have 2 million users already on that Facebook group. But from that 2 million that signed on, how many people do you really think are going to you know, take the effort to unsubscribe from Facebook? Just to answer this question, think about just how much Facebook is you know, weaved into you know, our everyday lives. You know, they have a statistic, I think, that 90% of Facebook users stay continuously logged in. And that is incredible for any website or any social company. I think a lot of that has to do with mobile networking too now. Like there's not a single phone in existence, n not just smartphones, but phones in general, that doesn't have a Facebook app. Uh, almost every phone has some form of Facebook app where you can stay logged in and toss out the most, you know, the stupidest updates you can accidentally put up, you know, like accidentally say so like, oh, I'm cheating during my midterm, ha 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 ha. Your professor writes back, <laughs> not anymore, you're not. You know, stuff like that. You know, fail, yeah. er, what is it? Lame book exists for a reason. Um, Brilliant service, by the way. Yes. Mad props. <laughs> and, like, but yeah, th but there is, and at the same time, there is a legitimate fear there of websites mishandling information. We've had a lot of scares. Uh, have you heard of the service of Blippi? I haven't. It was a service that allowed you to share what you've bought, you've bought recently. And because it involved... Uh, Purchase Personal. data, they yeah. had credit cards, and they fumbled it, and they, re they released a few credit card numbers by accident. Yeah, that's really interesting you brought that up, because I know Facebook, I think it was in the early, I think it was the late 2000s, actually, um, they had a service called Beacon, which did something very similar. Basically, it would connect the user 
and what he purchased with his Facebook profile so that his friends would be like, well, basically give you updates on the right hand saying, um, your friend Raven just went and bought this really sick guitar, you should check it out. And that was supposed to be an incredible invasion of privacy because suddenly I knew what you're buying, what you're doing outside this network. And as a result of people bringing this up and making it really public, Zuckerberg had no choice but to shut it down. So again, it's a really interesting question of, you know, privacy versus how can I make money from a social network? Which is ironic because now you've got like Foursquare and then Facebook uh, locations or whatever the service is called. Right. And now people are just like, oh, well, you know, I'm here. This is exactly, these are my GPS coordinates to exactly where I am, you know, and, and along with exactly what I'm doing and all this other stuff. And I don't understand how people complain about not having, you know, you, I don't think you have the right to complain about privacy if you have a Twitter account. You know what, I agree. Like, <laughs> if, you're, if you really want to complain, you know, get off the networks. You know, I know ICS majors. I'm not even kidding you. These guys are devout, you know, C++ programmers, like brilliant people. And when I asked them, hey, can I get your Facebook? They're like, I'm not on Facebook. And I'm like, okay, it's been a while. Like, any reason? They're like, no, just personal reasons. And, you know, if a person like that comes out to me and says, hey, you know, I have a genuine concern about privacy and all these issues, I'm like, you know what? I respect your opinion. You're off the network, I understand. But if you're on that network and you're updating your Facebook as you're telling me this, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm having a problem, you know, accepting your point of view. Yeah. All right, just to toss that out there, we're at the 30, a little bit past the 30 marks, so just to remind our viewers, you are listening to 88.9 KUCI-FM in Irvine. This is Tech Talk. I'm talking to Devin Pagera. He's a fourth-year ICS major here at UCI. Uh, programmer, done a lot of iPhone development, web development, database development, currently working for a startup called uh, Radio Flag, providing a very, should be a very awesome service, uh, radio-oriented service. Um, I think at some point you described it a little bit like Twitter for radio. You could say that. But a little, uh, so it seems a lot more complicated from what I've seen. Like, there's a lot there in terms of being able to share streams and stare, share, like, thoughts and have, a, 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 have like, a conversation more or less, like a discussion about what's happening on the radio at the time, which is hard. You know, some, more often than not, I'm listening to KFI in the mornings and I hear something and I want to say something, but you can't. Right. But I imagine with a service like yours, it's more, it's more likely for users to get involved with what's happening and the radio show host to be involved because, you know, a radio show host can only take one call at a time. Yeah, but can you imagine using the entire Internet? That'd be amazing. Yeah. I mean... To compare this service to Twitter, I feel is like almost doing like a sense of disrespect because the amount that, you know, the people who came together for this product, you know, the amount they've thought about this and, you know, this has been like a brainchild for about three to four years now. The patent for this idea was filed a while ago. So, you know, they've had plenty of time, you know, stew this and talk about it. And, you know, it's going to be a very exciting service and I can't wait for December when it like rolls out. I imagine so. Um, just to wrap uh, let's see what else we can discuss. Or is there anything actually that you want to bring up in regards to your own experiences, not just programming, not just with privacy, with startups, for instance? Like, you have had a very unique position playing around with startups mm -hmm. um, as an undergraduate. Do you imagine yourself going to grad school, or do you, do you kind of want to stick this out? You know, to be honest with you, I want to take some time off school because I feel that, you know, it's been going on since, like, high school, you know. You've just been cutthroat at the books all the time. I feel like now's a really good time, you know, while you're young to, you know, just get out to industry. I know your parents constantly tell you, you know, you should go to grad school, get your MBA, you know, your salary's going to increase by 10K. But I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to take a pause and, you know, kick it for a bit. You know, I want to go out to industry. I want to get some experience. I want to know what the real world's like. 
And that's worked out really well for you in terms of like what you've done. Like, what are some of the more ex- unique experiences you've had? Not just working for Radio Flag, but in general. I think it's just working for all sorts of different startups. And I think the best thing about you know doing internships that I want to bring to like the audience is that you know when you go to your business classes, like economics 101 or like leadership classes you know they're going to throw these words to you at on powerpoint slides right like what's synergy what's leadership and you know they're always going to have you know the little stupid you know stick man pointing at a graph that's going up and when you actually work in an industry you define these terms yourself like after working at radio flight for so long and you know realizing the importance of a team and the fact that you know as much as you want to have you know project managers and you know this hierarchy at the end of the day it's all about keeping everyone at the same level like, my definition of leadership has changed completely just this past summer. Like, to me, I would define leadership as not a sense of subordination, the fact that, you know, I'm looking down on my minions and making them, you know, cut my wood. But it's more of a question of how can I bring out the best in everyone I'm working with? And I probably would never have, you know, gained this experience if it had not been for the startups I work for. And also, there are things that people don't put on their resumes every day, which employers love. When I went for radio flag this past summer my resume was pretty empty i probably had you know things like in and out or the student center and you know they're not even technology related at all but i think the key is to know how to describe the experiences you got from them so when i i'd say about four out of five interviews i went for when they saw in and out they asked me literally why is this on your resume i don't understand i'm hiring for a technical position how are your experiences flipping burgers going to help at all and i guess my answer was it gives you a sense of humility and it teaches you to be, you know, level-headed. I mean, you're obviously going to have the things, you know, customer service, maintaining composure, you know, working in fast-paced environments. But more than that, it teaches you to be, like, human. And I feel that a lot of candidates, like, whenever... Because I had a few chances, you know, sit behind the table with my uh, interview at some of my other internships when they were taking on new people. And they are like, all right, Devin, I want you to sit down on this side of the table for a change and see what it's like to be the interviewer. And... When you hear the students' responses, you realize, you know, you can't go to a website, you can't go to Google and say, all right, job interview questions. Okay, these are the bullet points I'm going to say. I'm time-oriented, you know, I'm organized, I'm disciplined. I mean, it'll take you only so far. But if you have experiences, life experiences like that, that really teach you things, that's what employers are looking for. And when I, after I told them that, you know, I feel that every day, every time I go to In-N-Out and, or to like any place for that matter, and if I feel the person behind the point of sales is, you know, slowing down and she's apologizing profusely, uh, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry I'm taking so long with your art. I've had a long day. You know, I can relate. I can be like, you know what, I've been on your side of the table. I understand. Take all the time you want. And I never get mad at people anymore. I feel like things like that are what employers are looking for, things that make you a human being as opposed to, you know, a programming machine. And actually, I, I, I think that's a very important point to make, being human. I, I think we lose that a lot when it comes to doing the work that we do we want to be so ridiculously efficient right. about things and you know it, it it takes more to be a programmer than being able to crank out code um, f- you know for instance on a project you can have someone who's a brilliant programmer and I'm sure you've had experience with this they can do you can give them a project and they'll program it but they won't be able to do anything beyond the programming beyond like communication or criticism or anything if you told them to change the whole project overnight they'd do it without arguing even if they knew it was a bad idea and you know that's a really valid point i feel that to be a really to be a good programmer is you know you know your java syntax you know you know your c plus plus standard libraries like 
on the back of your palm. That's a great programmer. But it'd be, you know, brilliant to be on the top of your game. It's having all those attributes, you know. Can I be entrepreneurial? Can I, you know, communicate well? Can I understand, you know, when my fellow teammates are like, I'm sorry, I can't program this. I don't know how to do this. Being able to relate to people on a human level is just as important. That's what makes, I think, the best programmers. And, you know, all my managers, you know, as much as they've done, you know, so much programming, I think the reason that make that they're such brilliant mentors is, you know, they've had all this experience to, you know, acquire all these different areas. And every time I talk to them, you know, I mean, there'll be days when I disagree with them, but for the most part, you know, I'm listening to them with absolute respect because they have so much experience and so much to teach us. So, all right. Well, it has been an awesome, awesome interview with you. Uh, we're not wrapping up the hour at this point, so we're going to be moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been great having you. Thank you so much for coming. Um, I know you're really busy. And we do hope to have you again on the show again, hopefully after December. So your product is coming out in de- December sometime. Yep, it's Radio Flag. Stay tuned. Um, if you guys want to subscribe, you know, get updates, you can go to www.radioflag.com and you can subscribe to your email address and we'll send you the updates when it's ready. Yeah, you have a developer's blog, right? Is that through the Radio Flag or...? Oh, actually, I have one external where people can, you know, just follow my um, developer. It's on my Twitter, so it'll be twitter.com slash bubbler which is B-U-B-L-3-R. I don't know why you would do that. You know what? I don't know either. Um, <laughs> I think it's like a random spur-of-the-moment thing. So. Oh, oh, my. That, that, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you are listening to 88.9 KUCI at FM in Irvine. This is Tech Talk. My name is Kumar. Uh, I'm here with Devin Pagera. We just had an awesome show. Um, stay tuned. We've got a lot more great KUCI programming coming up. Once again, this is Tech Talk, where every Monday is at 9 a.m. Stay tuned next week. We're going to have more great interviews. We're going to have a lot more interesting shows, more interesting people coming on. Don't forget, go to KUCI.org. Check out our website. We have all of our stuff podcasted. Um, it's all there online for you guys to go back. All of our shows are archived. Almost all of our shows are archived. <laughs> the ones we remember to record. Um, so yeah, stay tuned. Um, I believe next week uh, Shane will be back uh, doing an interview of his own. So we're going to have some great stuff ahead of you guys. So uh, thanks for listening. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Hey, this is Nathan Explosion from Death Clock, and you're listening to some underfunded college radio station from somewhere. KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine. Uh...